Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, and this is the Word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Let's pray together. Lord, there is far more in this text, even these four verses, than we could unpack in a day, a week, or a month. There's doctrine, there's comfort, there's hope, there's beauty. I thank you for it. And as we open your word today, as we try to do our best to study, to learn, to grow, I pray that you would be at work empowering me to speak your word, empowering us to hear your word, and in all things bringing glory to your name. Do the work that you would do in every person here. Save souls, bring repentance, give comfort, do things only you can do. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. I remember once hearing Ravi Zacharias summarize a thought from G.K. Chesterton's classic book, Orthodoxy. If that hasn't put you to sleep already, I don't know what will. But the quote from Chesterton goes like this, quote, Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. How's that for a quote? What I remember hearing Ravi Zacharias say, what stuck with me was this little gem, though. Part of God's infinity is manifested in a little child's propensity to exult in the monotonous. I like that. Part of God's infinity is manifested in a little child's propensity to exult in the monotonous. See, God is unlike us in many ways, and one of God's perfections is God's ability to delight in the repetition of the rising of the sun, the whirling of the stars in space, the progression of the seasons over and over again. 
God does not get bored with the ocean waves and the rising and ebbing of the tides. God is still able to find joy in ever-repeated, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty as it's sung by his angels around his throne. With the purest delight, the delight that you and I have lost since our childhoods, God can smile and say, do it again. And this morning, I believe God wants us to recapture some of the delight of rejoicing in the gospel. The good news of salvation in Christ is something we have known for years, many of us. And you and I need to guard our hearts against ever allowing this glorious truth to get old. If you can open the word, see the truth of the gospel, and have your heart dull to its glories, you need to get younger in your spirit. You need to get closer to God in your attitude. Well, last week we saw Paul's greeting in verses 1 and 2 of the book of Ephesians. And now Paul sets out writing praise to God for the gospel. That's not uncommon in ancient writing. It happened a lot. You have a greeting, then you have a doxology. But this one stands out because verses 3 through 14 in the original Greek are one long, flowing, majestic, some would say convoluted, sentence. It is more than 200 words long in its original language, and it exalts in the grace of God. It highlights God the Father in really 3 through 6, God the Son in 7 through 10, maybe through to 12, and then God the Holy Spirit in, again, really 13 and 14. And it focuses us on the past, what has been done already in redemption, in the present, of, present age of salvation, where we are now, and, in the, and what is to come. It's beautiful. Well, this morning we're going to begin to look at this glorious opening to the book of Ephesians by finding four thoughts for which we praise God as we praise God for his grace. So join me as we look at the glory of God in our salvation and let's see if we can find wonder again in a story that you know really, really well. So our first point this morning, praise God for salvation. Praise God for salvation. By the way, do I need to give you reasons to do that? Are you guys okay with that one already? We could skip to point two. Okay, we'll do it. Verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This verse is kind of a summary of the big sentence. This is the topic of the sentence from 3 through 14. It starts with, bless God. Why bless God? Bless God for the gospel. Bless God for our salvation. Let's go piece by piece. What does it mean when the Bible tells us bless God? The Greek word here behind the word bless is eulogio, it's the word from which our language grabs the word eulogy. You guys know the word eulogy? What is a eulogy? If you're at a funeral, it's one of the kind of speeches that are often given. Like at a funeral, the pastor will usually give, if he's a good pastor, a sermon that is intended to glorify God and point the mourners toward comfort in Jesus Christ and share the gospel. That is not the eulogy. The eulogy is the other stuff that happens at the funeral. The talking about the one who passed away, right? When we remember grandma or grandpa and, and we highlight their good qualities, 
That is the eulogy. Here, the word eulogio or eulogio or blessed means that we declare God's great attributes. It is to look at the Lord, to remember what God has done, and to express praise to God for God's glorious character and great acts. Psalm 145 verses 4 through 7 read like this. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Guys, God's word has always taught us that it is right that we declare God's goodness. It's especially right for us to praise God for his past faithfulness. Think about it. The Bible has ceremonies that think about God's past faithfulness, doesn't it? What are some? Passover, yeah. How about New Testament? Lord's Supper, right? The Passover and the Lord's Supper are, are ceremonies that... That, that bring to our mind in, in sensory-rich ways, right? You, you, you see it, you smell it, you touch it, you taste it. They bring to our minds the goodness of God. They, remember, they make us remember God's past faithfulness. Now, when I say bless God, don't be confused by what the word bless means because it's different when God blesses us versus when we bless God, right? When God blesses us, God gives us goodness. If you bless one another, you might speak or even do something good for one another. But when God is blessed by us, God is not improved. Our blessing of God is our declaring what is already abundantly, clearly true about God. It is our celebrating the truth of the greatness of God. But our blessing God has never once been our doing God good or bringing to God any level of honor or glory that God does not already have. You know, if a person were to empty even a thimble of water into the ocean, she would add to the depth of the ocean. But you and I even if we praise God for all of eternity, would not add even one ounce of weight to God's perfection. God is so glorious, so perfect, so holy that we could never add to him. But what we do is we see his glory, we rejoice then in declaring his glory. And recognize this fact. This is an important fact, folks. Not to affirm the perfection of God is in itself Sin. To fail to see and declare the perfection of God is for you to sin against God. Now, whom do we bless? We bless God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Starting around verse 7, we're going to see a whole lot of praise directed Jesus' way. But right here, verses 3 through 6, the primary person of the Trinity in focus is God the Father. 
And it's good for us to realize that in thanksgiving for our salvation, we start with the Father. Because many people throughout history have mistakenly assumed that there's some sort of division between the persons of the Godhead regarding our salvation. There are people that think of God the Father as as this scowling old man who's angry at us for sin. And Jesus is the nice, sweet-hearted, merciful one that jumps between us and the Father so that we can be rescued. But the biblical picture is not like that and has never been like that. The biblical picture is a picture of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working together from eternity past at the singular purpose of saving a people for God. Now, what, according to the Word, has God the Father done? God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So that first sentence is beautiful. It says, God is blessed who has blessed us. Bless God who is blessed because he has blessed us. We praise God, acknowledging with joy that God blessed us, bringing us life and goodness and spiritual blessing that we never previously had. Ooh, stop for a second. Whom has God blessed? Isn't this fun? I hope you're having fun. I really am. Whom has God blessed? You tell me, who has God blessed according to this passage? Us. You see the word us? Us. It's the pronoun, us. Whom has God blessed? So now we've got to know, who is us? That sounds grammatically incorrect, but in this case, it's right. Who is us? Is us referring to all people on earth? Or is it a select group of people God has blessed? Now, by the way, if I ask the question with no context... And said to you, has God blessed all people on earth? That's true, right? But in context, in context, if you miss the context, you're going to miss the meaning of the text. I mean, God has blessed all people on earth. God makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. God has allowed technology and, and progress and many of the benefits of human society to go all over the globe. That's called common grace. That's common grace. When God blesses all people, that's common grace. That's, that's true. God does bless the whole world. But verse 3 says to us that God blessed us, whoever the us is, they are blessed in Christ already with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So then the question is, who is us? And the, que- the answer to the question is, well, who is in Christ? Whoever us is, is who is in Christ. Who has claim to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? And the only logical answer to who us is in verse 3 is the saved. God has blessed the saved with every spiritual blessing who, uh, in Christ. You need to know who us is. It'll help your theology as this passage moves forward. So what are spiritual blessings in the heavenly places we have in Christ? Well, they're blessings that, we, that are not earthly blessings, right? They're, 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 not, they're not physical comfort. They're not promises of earthly safety. Have you noticed that even as a Christian, your life has not been filled necessarily with physical comfort? Some of you are sitting in these chairs right now going, Amen. But... What are these? These are treasures in heaven. 
They are treasures where thieves cannot break in and steal and moths do not destroy. They're treasures that last forever. They're blessings of spiritual life and spiritual goodness. They are they're the promise, the sure promise that we have an eternal state coming of perfect blessedness because we are counted by God the Father as united with Christ in his perfect life and covered by Jesus Christ's perfect sacrifice. And those perfect blessings are the things that Paul says we have and he's going to go on to expound upon them in the rest of this paragraph and really the whole rest of the book of Ephesians. So here's the question. Are you under the grace of God in Jesus Christ? Bless God. Praise God for your salvation. God the Father blessed you in Christ. God, get this Christian, if you're a Christian, God has already blessed you, granting to you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Even if life is hard here, you have an eternal hope, an eternal future, an eternal blessing awaiting you because you are in Christ. And what's the right response to this? The right response to this is for you and me, Christians, to rejoice and celebrate and praise God for salvation. Second point now. We said praise God for salvation. Now praise God for sanctification. Praise God for sanctification. Look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So if verse 3 is a summary of this big sentence that goes from verses 3 to 14, verse 4 is the first given reason we have to praise God for blessing us. How has God blessed us? This verse tells us we praise God for the glorious blessing of Him choosing us for salvation and particularly for the blessing of sanctification that is part of our salvation. And right now, if you're sitting here feeling confused because those shun words sound like a bunch of big theology talk, or if you don't know what salvation and sanctification mean, stick with me. We'll get there, okay? Salvation is an easy word, right? It means to be saved from something. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to be rescued from the judgment of God and welcomed into the family of God. That's salvation. Sanctification, we'll get there. Okay, understand. Paul is telling us first something really important about how we've been saved. The phrase, even as, at the beginning of verse 4, that is telling us that he's about to tell us something about the how and the why of our salvation. Verse 3 says, we bless God for our salvation. Our salvation is great. How? It is great because God saved us in the way he's about to describe. It's great because our salvation is first and foremost God choosing us. Calvin writes, Quote, the foundation and first cause, both of our calling and of all the benefits we receive from God, is here declared to be his eternal election. 
If the reason is asked why God has called us to enjoy the gospel, why he daily bestows upon us so many blessings, why he opens to us the gate of heaven, the answer will be constantly found in this principle that he hath chosen us before the foundation of the world. Now, later in the book, we might discuss a little bit more of how God chose us for salvation. But if you are a Christian, and if you want to handle this passage correctly, you need to first understand this. If nothing else, understand this. All of the praise and all of the glory for your salvation belongs to the Lord God who chose you. Please do not try to take hold of even one thread of credit for your salvation. Because for you to do so is for you to take something away from the glory and credit that belongs to God for your salvation. Now God the Father chose to save in Christ. Jesus has been eternally involved, eternally in lockstep with the Father from before the dawn of time. Before creation ever took place, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were fully united in a plan that would include God's creation and the fall of man and our redemption and restoration to the glory of Christ. And the choice of a people who will belong to the Lord for eternity, that, that, that's, that's part of the working of God, all that God is. There's no dis difference whatsoever in the desires of the Father and the Son here. Both the Father and the Son are wrathful against humanity for our sin, and both the Father and the Son love the joy of being glorified in redeeming people for God. They served in different ways as the one true God. But the desire of God, the will of God, is not divided. Now, the choice of a people for eternity, as Paul makes clear here, it involves God choosing people, individual people, for salvation, for the receipt of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The us of verse 3 is the chosen of verse 4. Now, what are some scriptures that highlight the concept of God choosing beforehand? I'll give you just a few. We could do this all day. But John, John 6, 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So there's a clear giving of a particular people from the Father to the Son as a gift. This is the eternal plan of God. Romans 8, 29 and 30 say, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So people, individual people, have been foreknown by God. God has set his love on a particular people in a unique way so as to predestine them, call them, justify them, and eternally glorify them. In the book of Revelation, there are two places in which we see reference to the book of life. How many of you guys have ever heard the phrase, the Lamb's book of life? Yeah, yeah. Yep, you guys have heard it, right? That book is a list... This symbolical list, if you will, of the names of every person who would ever be saved. The names of all the elect. And we see in Revelation that those who reject and hate God never had their names written in that book. 
But those whose names are in that book had their names written in that book before time began. Let me read to you Revelation 13, 8 and then 17, 8. You'll hear it twice. In Revelation 13, 8, talking about the beast and the idol, says all who, who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Did you hear that? Before the foundation of the world, the names of the saved were written down. And the ones who will fall for the deception of the enemy are those whose names were not written down. Revelation 17, verse 8, at the end of the verse, it says, The dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast. So I want to be clear here. I don't want to confuse any of us. These passages and the concept of election or predestination do not take away human responsibility. God commands all people to repent and believe to be saved. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 says, The Lord has commanded all people everywhere to repent. So understand this. No human being has the right to say to God, You didn't command me to repent. Yes, He did. But those who are not saved are not saved because they refuse to trust in Jesus for salvation and instead choose to live in their own sin by their own best wisdom. But everyone who does repent and trusts in Jesus for salvation must understand that God is the one to be blessed for our salvation because he has chosen us, drawn us to Christ, made us alive, and granted us our faith as a gift. Okay, and now we actually get to the heart of this point. That was extra. Paul's goal here in this verse is not to explain to us the intricacies of election, and I'm not trying to. And by the way, dear, dear friends, if you're still wrestling with what in the world we're talking about, about election, if you're struggling with that, please understand that we, we get it, okay? We get it. And I didn't start here understanding this, and I probably don't understand it all now. God's bigger than me and brighter than me. And so there is gracious room for everybody in this church, no matter how far you've gotten along this doctrine. Just make sure that no matter what you understand or how much you get or how much you don't get, let's not be mean to each other. Let's be nice to each other. Let's be loving to each other. And let's give God all the glory for our salvation. Is that fair? Well, what Paul wants to do here Paul wants, his purpose here is to praise God for choosing us and then to make us think about the goal, or at least one goal, of our salvation. God saved us, quote, back at verse 4, God saved us that we should be holy and blameless before Him. God saves us to make us holy. That is sanctification. When you think about the gospel, you should probably think about two starter truths in the gospel. Let's start here. God is holy. We are sinners. True? <laughs> True. 
These begin the story of the good news, the holiness of God. What is the holiness of God? It is his uniqueness, his absolute total perfection. When you think about God, realize that there is no flaw in God, no failure in God, no sin in God at all. The infinite perfection of God demonstrates that God is absolutely and wonderfully greater than you or I ever have been. That is the holiness of God. And the reason you and I need salvation in the first place is that you and I are sinners in the face of God's holiness. We've all rebelled against God in his perfection. We've all sinned. We've all failed to live up to the standard of God's righteousness. Now let me ask you, is that hard for you to believe that you have not lived up to the standard of God's infinite perfection? No, not so much, right? Is it hard for you to believe your spouse has not lived up to... That got a real laugh on that side of the room. I'm sorry. Sorry. Whoever's whoever spouse that is, I'm sorry. Uh, how many times in your life have you been less than perfect? How many times in your life have you been outright bad? How many times in your life have you done something and then known you shouldn't have done that? Think of how many times you failed to do the good thing you know you should have done. Think of the words that you've said that you wish you could have back. Think of the memories of your choices that you wish you could take out of your brain. Y'all, I've got so many things I wish I could erase from my brain. Nobody's perfect, right? Well, God is perfect. God is holy, and His standard is His holy perfection. And for us to be allowed to enter the presence of God, we must be made holy too. God will not abide sinfulness, and this leaves us hopeless except for one thing. God had a plan to save us. Jesus, God the Son, the perfect God, came to earth and lived the perfect human life. Jesus then died a sacrificial death and rose from the dead after the work was complete. And every one of God's children gains from every one of those three things. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Right? Because Jesus rose from the grave, we can believe that Jesus' claims are true and we have hope in life after death for ourselves because Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sins and rose from the grave. Your hope for eternity is totally based on whether or not Jesus really came back from the grave. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we have no hope whatsoever. Because Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sins, we can, if we're under his grace, know that our sins have been already perfectly punished. That's good news, folks. And especially important for today's point, Jesus' perfect life can be given to us, can become ours as a gift. God the Father is willing to gift us with the perfection of Christ in just the same way that God the Father counted Jesus as guilty and punished Jesus for our sins. 
Does the Bible teach that? 2 Corinthians 5.21, perhaps my favorite individual verse of the Bible. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's the exchange. Jesus takes our sin on himself and dies for it. We receive from Jesus the absolutely perfect righteousness of God so we can enter God's presence for eternity. How's that for a trade? God saved us so that we may be holy and blameless before him. When we come to Jesus in faith, God counts us as legally holy and blameless before him. Can you imagine the thought that God would look up your record and see holy and blameless stamped across your life? Because you and I know we don't live holy and blameless in the here and now, right? What do we do? You know, we do live with the Spirit of God and we strive to honor the Lord more and more from day to day. And here's the cool thing. The process whereby we live a little more like Jesus as life goes by, the process whereby we do a little better as time passes, the process of Christian growth, that is called sanctification. God sanctifying us, making us sacred. And one of the reasons God saved you, if you are saved, is to sanctify you. But sanctification is a two-part thing. We are sanctified progressively a little bit by a little bit, day by day, for as long as we live as Christians. You guys have noticed that you're still working to get better, right? That's sanctification. But at the same time, God has already given us sanctification, instant, legal, permanent sanctification as a gift at our salvation. So the fact that God looks at us and sees the righteousness of Christ, that's one of those spiritual blessings that is already ours in the heavenly places in Christ. So let me ask you, do you want to grow? Amen, you should. And you should work in the spirit of God with your brothers and sisters in Christ to grow for God's glory. But let me remind you of some good news. You guys would like some good news, yes? God also already sees all Christians as having God's very own righteousness in Christ. Your sins, you have sins? They've been punished already. The righteousness of Jesus has already been applied to your record. Listen to me. God loves you as much right now as he ever possibly Good if you're a Christian. God will not love you more in heaven. God will not love you more if you just behave a little better. God does not love you less when you mess up. God's love for you was set in his choice of you for salvation. God's love for you is set in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Father's love for you is set in His infinite love for His Son. So yes, repent and grow. 
But do it, Christians, knowing that God has already given you the gift of being holy and blameless before him in Christ. And let it make you praise God for sanctification. Amen? Amen. Worth it? Okay. Point three. I'm glad we didn't skip point two. Praise God for adoption. Praise God for adoption. Verse five. In love, that's the end of verse 4 actually, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now you find a little debate among Bible teachers as to whether that phrase in love should tie to verse 4 or to verse 5. Are we chosen to be holy and blameless before God in love? Or, as verse 5 would say, are we in love predestined for adoption? The answer is yes. Both of those things are true. I think, though, for our understanding, it's probably better for the phrase in love to begin our thought with verse 5. In love, God predestined us. Here's a reference again. Predestined. This is a reference to a choice God made before the time of creation. The word predestined is not a hard word, folks. It is not confusing. Predestined means that a destination was determined beforehand. And God, so God didn't just foresee, God destined an outcome for the saved, for the ones that he chose, for the ones who are the us who receive every spiritual blessing in Christ. What is that? What did God predestine for the saints? This is beautiful. God predestined not only our sanctification, not merely salvation from destruction, God predestined us to adoption. Now, adoption is a word we understand, right? But it probably has an even stronger meaning from Paul's day. Because see, sometimes a wealthy Roman citizen would adopt as his his heir one of his adult servants. And the adoption could elevate a person from a lowly status, even slave status, to the status of a respected gentleman overnight. It might give a person rights like land ownership rights or other citizenship privileges that they never could have gotten no matter what they did in their lower status. But then they were adopted and those rights become theirs. It is a full class level elevation. That was happening in the first century. But of course, we also know adoption indicates the uniting of a person with a family. It is to claim a person who had formerly not been your child as your child. Right? To to, to take somebody who did not used to be your child and claim them as your child. So in this case, in Christ, God moves us from being enemies of God to being God's own beloved children, sons and daughters of the Lord over the entire universe. And we see this theme presented to us other places. The Gospel according to John gives us a picture. John 1 Verses, I'm going to read 9 to 13. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's an amazing picture, folks. 
the God who made the world was entering the world and he came to the people who should have known him and loved him best and those very people refused to acknowledge him yet in the perfect wisdom of God everyone who receives this son all who entrust their souls to Jesus in faith become God's very own children they go from God haters to God's own family members beloved family members who inherit the kingdom of God and all that blessing comes to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to be our Savior, our Lord, our substitute, and our way to enter the family of God. This is according to the eternal plan of God. This is to God's glory. This is a reason to praise God for grace. And as you praise God for grace, thank Him for adoption. If you know Jesus, you have been welcomed into God's family. He loves you as his own because he made you his own. And that was predestined for you from before the dawn of time. Last point this morning now. Praise God for grace. Praise God for grace. Grace is favor you don't deserve. It's a good thing you get that you didn't deserve, you didn't earn. Look at verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So we're wrapping up this morning, folks. We see one more purpose, an end, a, a telos to the things we've been discussing. What is God's reason for the gospel plan? What is God's reason for blessing us with every spiritual blessing in Christ? What is God's reason for sanctifying us, for granting us holiness, for granting us righteousness? What is God's reason for adopting us as his children? Toward what is that all aimed? Christians, this is vital, but it's not complicated. Don't miss it. If you are saved, you are saved for a purpose, and that purpose is the glory of Almighty God. Your salvation is for the sake of magnifying the graciousness, the kindness, the goodness of God. If you've studied scripture for long at all, the concept of everything being done for the glory of God, that's probably not new to you. But if it's unfamiliar, let me tell us all once again that all things that exist, exist for the purpose of magnifying the glory, the worth, the weight, the perfection of our God. The heavens exist to display the glory of God. God parted the Red Sea to display His glory and mighty saving power. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He made Pharaoh the most Pharaoh Pharaoh could be in order that God's glory could be demonstrated through the judgment of God on Egypt. And you exist for the purpose of displaying the glory of God. And the good news is there is nothing that will ever give you greater joy or greater fulfillment than when you do what you were created to do, which is glorify God. So verse 3 starts off, bless God, right? Bless the God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. But then verse 6 tells us of the blessing God has given us, that of salvation is a grace with which God has graced us in the beloved. If, if, you, if you read that, that verse completely literally, it would, it would be, this is a grace that God graced us with. So praise be to God for his grace on us because the purpose of God's grace on us is the praise of God. Praise God for grace because the purpose of grace is the praise of God. So I'll just ask you guys, what do you think? 
Are you outside of the grace of God? I hope not, but listen to me. If you're sitting here this morning apart from the grace of God, you don't have to be. True Christians, turn from living for sin. Turn from living for self. Turn from trusting your wisdom best. Believe in Jesus. Bow to the authority of Jesus. Bow to the, the lordship of Jesus. Ask Jesus for grace, and you will be saved. And what do you think? Christians, is it monotonous to again go over the points of the gospel? Or like the Lord telling the sun, rise again and again and again, morning after morning after morning. Can you find joy again and again and again in the grace of Almighty God? Praise God for salvation, for sanctification and adoption. Praise God for grace. Let's bow together. Father, I thank you for the grace that you've given us. Lord, I know, I know that there is no way I can do justice to the magnificence of your glorious, glorious grace. So I pray that here this morning you have taken into our hearts, into the hearts of this congregation, just something of the magnificence of the glory of the gospel. Help us to be people who praise you, who honor you, who worship you, who find our hope in you. God, let us, as we should, praise you for grace. And Lord, I would ask you that um, if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know you, let them find Forgiveness, grace, hope in you. Help them find the way to trust you, to let go of sin and self and follow you. God, for every believer that's struggling, help us do this. Rejoice in you and give you all the praise and all the glory for our salvation because it's all yours. God, thank you. Help us love you well. In Christ's name, amen.